Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jesse Mayer, your host of The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, a podcast designed to help you develop a biblical framework in which to understand what is happening in your world today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. It's good to be here. We're currently in a series titled Essential. A basic drive for every human being is to be loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, a sense that their their life matters, they're accepted and affirmed. We're exploring how human beings can only find true affirmation in Jesus Christ. Now, we're, we are answering this question, why is the world incapable of affirming us as people? Why is it so hard to experience that you are essentially apart from Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on Tuesday, we... we discovered some important biblical principles in the second chapter of Ephesians. Can you remind us what those were? Yeah, uh, what we're doing is we're not just teaching what the Bible says, but we're also trying to develop a biblical worldview, which requires reason. So these are logical and rational as well. Uh, First and foremost, what we discovered is that as the people following Jesus, we're redeemed people. And so in chapter one, Paul states how he wants the eyes of our heart to be open and so that we can know various things. And one of the things he wants us to know is the incomparable power of God available to those who believe. And this power makes impossible things possible. And so once we get into chapter two, we saw how this power manifests itself in our life. Uh, Verses one through 10 is all about the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ redeems us as individuals and it changes our nature. And then once that happens, we saw in verses 11 through 22, the second half of Ephesians chapter two, that that power then comes out of us and allows us to make a difference around us. Uh, What happens is that Christ specifically healed the wall of division, the hostility, the barrier that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And that was an ethnic and racial barrier. And so Ephesians 2 is very specific about how Jesus Christ is the answer to destroying these things, these barriers and these, these divisions, these hostilities. And it only happens because he destroyed the hostility on the cross. And so now we have access to God through the cross. So that's kind of a nutshell of what we studied on Tuesday. Tuesday. So... What I'd really like to get into and talk about is the current racial division in our country. And if these biblical principles are an answer in any way to that issue, um, as the people of Jesus, how should we be addressing this issue? Well, whenever we address this issue, I think we have to have a couple disclaimers. And the first one is this is Foothills is not a church that tells people who to vote for. You know, we have a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle who go to our church, who are involved in the leadership of our church, and and we encourage that because we think that that's really, really healthy. One of the biblical principles uh, that founded the movement out of which Foothills Christian Church came back in 1812 was a movement of unity. And what happened is uh, Christianity, Protestant Christianity, had become so denominationalized, it was very tribal. And so uh, it was really 
you know, very, very specific and people were really separated. And so the mo- pe- these people Just said like between like Protestant and Lutheran and all of these. Yeah. Between. Yeah. And one of the founders, he, he, you know, he went to kind of his home church in England because he and his family were in the process of immigrating to America as they, and then they ended up settling in Virginia and he was back in England. And so he went to his church and to take communion, he just wanted to take communion and they said, well, you can't take communion unless you're a member in good standing and we'll give you a wooden chip to take communion. He goes, well, that's kind of ridiculous. And so they were like, okay, you have to be uh, Hasmonean Antercesedor Presbyterian in order to take communion. And he thought, I don't even know. oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's a little crazy. So he came over and said, look, we just want to be Christians only, and we want to return to the New Testament, classic Orthodox Christianity, just the New Testament. That's all we want to do is the Bible's our only guide, and that's it. All these creeds and all this stuff and is ridiculous. And so they're, they're, they, they, what they did is they came up with a thing. It says, look, we see in the very essentials of the faith, like in the New Testament book of Acts, is that there are very few essentials. Who is Christ? What did he do on the cross? Did he raise from the dead? And so forth. And in these essentials, we must agree. Okay? But in everything else, there's liberty. Uh, or charity. And so I think that this truth is really important for um, not only our church, but it's also becoming important for our entire nation. And that is one danger of some of these new ideologies that are antithetical to a biblical worldview or just any type of political worldview like Marxism and intense socialism is that as a country, we no longer have an agreement on any essential. And when you don't have any agreement on any essential, the natural human spirit, the nature of humanity is to balkanize, meaning they become extremely tribal and they just go in and look people who just think like them, act like them and just go are, into their groups and they Yeah, and then they them. war with their groups and, and that, that tribalism is very, very bad for a civilized nation. So when it comes to these things, I'm not here to tell people how to vote, uh, but I am here to, you know, not remain silent either. Because people are really trying to work through these issues, and that's what I'm here. And so I think the first thing in addressing racial issues is that we have to understand, we have to analyze, and that is is that there are people who have a lot of emotions and feelings uh, in America today, and these feelings are intense, and they're real. So I don't discount people feel, you know, the way they feel. Uh, I said, absolutely, you have a feel feeling of this way and you have a perception of this i don't doubt that one bit and uh i have no doubt that you feel there needs to be radical change in from your perspective whatever that may be regardless of the minority or the majority doesn't really matter i understand your feelings are very very strong and i'm not trying to discount your feelings at all right as a matter of fact i can kind of relate to some of your feelings you know um i understand why you feel this way and and an analysis is like well you know uh, one one common thing that is said to me is is uh, over and over and it says, well, I you know the police, uh, you know we never have a good interaction with police, and I say, well, I can understand that because you know I drive like a a preacher, and you know the old cliche about preachers they drive with one foot on the accelerator and one foot in heaven, <laughs> so so yeah, um, I think that's one of the things that my wife wishes uh, would change about me, uh, but. 
but uh, I've been stopped by the cops a number of times. And I would have to say that I've never had a good interaction with cops when they stop me. Right. Now, that doesn't mean the cops are being unprofessional or wrong or bad. It just means whenever I get pulled over, my first reaction is, oh, crap. You yeah. know, you're never mess. excited to you're get pulled over. You're never excited about that, you know. And, and so it's not good. And so people say, well, that's totally different because of your ethnicity. And we have to have conversations with our kids. And I, and I go, well, what's the nature of this conversation? And they, they describe it. And I said, well, that's strange. I had the exact same conversation with my kids, all of them. And as a matter of fact, that conversation is a part of uh, student driving now. You know, uh, because uh, these interactions are never pleasant, but that doesn't mean the cops are doing a bad job, you know. So I, I think the issue is, is that I understand your feelings, but the, also the understand we have to analyze where our feelings come from, you know. And I think one of the reasons why people feel strongly about things is the media portrayals. And we have to realize that our culture is now postmodern. And postmodern culture in particular is the predominant philosophy in all journalism schools in the United States of America. And postmodern philosophy is complicated and so forth, but basically in a nutshell, it says there is no objective truth. There are only narratives. So the end result is that the media is constantly painting narratives based on the particular agenda or goal that they may have. And this is why the media ranks as the highest mistrusted uh, group or institution in the United States of America, which is pretty crazy. I mean, especially because that's the place we're supposed to be getting our truth from. Right. And so people, Supposedly. yeah, and it's the least trusted. Correct. You know, we talked about it a few podcasts ago is that the, the one thing the media has done is galvanized everybody's Everybody dis against them. Yeah. <laughs> that nobody believes them. It doesn't matter what your political orientation is. So, it, what, but what happens is cultures kind of followed suit. And what that means is that he, we are taught to be deconstructionists. And since we don't believe in objective truth, everybody becomes a defense lawyer. You only care about the facts or data points that support your position, which you've already determined. And so you're, all you're looking for is confirmation bias. Now, is it good for a society overall to have no objective truth? Well, a historical fact is no civilization has ever existed or thrived on moral relativism. It's never happened. This is a historical fact. You can go back and study civilization, empire, over and over and over again. Number two is that as individuals, balkanization is a natural reflex of the human heart. That's one of our sinful cravings, and that is, is that we want to only be around people who you know, think like this or cause that drive is that we're going to find affirmation and acceptance. Right. We want, we want everyone to say, yes, you're right. You're yeah. what you believe is correct. And, and so we, we migrate towards that. That's our natural desire. So I, I get why people feel that way, you know, and why fe these feelings are weird because are real, not weird, but real because they're being driven by a postmodern ethic in our society. Um, I think another thing that adds to it is the social justice warrior movement. And this is a very paradigmatic thinking, meaning it's a, it's a structure of thought. It's a paradigm, a structure of thought. And the social justice movement is built on the foundation of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory. Uh, this is factual. This is proven over and over again that this is where it comes from. And so when it comes to ethnic or racial division, the driving philosophy in all universities today is called critical race theory, which is a subset of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, 
Now, the underlying premise of critical race theory, and this is what's taught in university, and what, what I laugh about, you know, this is a side note, and, um, you know, Paul says that it's never profitable to boast, but sometimes it's necessary. Fifteen years ago, I, you know, was doing uh, a two-week message series on a regular basis about ten things to teach your high school graduate before they go to university, and it was on this, you know? Right. And... And strangely enough, uh, very few people ever listen to me, because um, that's usually <laughs> what you do with your preacher, right? You know, you don't listen. In one ear, out the other. <laughs> yeah, in your one ear. But, but this has just become more and more prominent. And so this is something that I'm familiar with, because I've been talking about it for 15 years when nobody else cared about it. So I know that's a little bit of a boast. I apologize. I'm not trying to get any profit out of doing, it. Doing the told you so. Yeah, I am simply saying that it's necessary to know that this is not some new thing. It's that not I, just some new discovery. That, yeah, that I'm throwing out there. But uh, the, the point of critical race theory is that... Uh, the, the underlying premise is that people are not necessarily individuals, which, of course, that means you're not responsible for your individual choices, but you're part of an identifiable group. And this group is in a power struggle with all the other group identities out there. And there's no and, and this is where that term intersectionality comes from. And what they're trying to talk about is they're trying to say, well, all society is about one group vying for power from another group. And when those two groups intersect, Okay, there's they're trying to impose all these rules of how it should or shouldn't happen, which when you read them, it's just absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Uh, and but the problem is, is that there's no common ground between the groups. Uh, these intersectionality rules makes it worse, not better. So the falsehood in their logic is this, since I'm a part of a group that's fighting for power and once I get the power, then I'm going to set things right. Well, the problem is, is that the meaning of set things right is not an objective standard of justice because all objective standards have been ejected with the postmodern ethic. What it means is we're going to force our agenda on everybody else. That's what we're going to do. We're going to grab power and try to force our agenda on everybody else. And you see this with the secular mindset starting in the 1800s, like the late 1800s. And that, of course, made the 20th century all the 1900s with World War One, World War II, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, the Cultural Revolution with Mao Zedong, the Khmer Rouge, Nazism and fascism and totalitarianism. Uh, that is all, all the, the results. Yeah, all that has been the most bloody and horrific 100 years in the entire history of humanity. As a matter of fact, here's a historical thing that you should understand and know, is that more people were killed by these ideologies in that 100 years, the 20 centuries, than all of the centuries of recorded human history combined. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just absolutely horrific. So the, and what happens is when you have a mindset that we're going to seize power and force our agenda on everybody else, this is the basis for war. And this is why nations constantly war with each other is because of that. And so America uh, is, was a unique experience because the goal was to limit the government so that when it ever shifted from one you know, people thought a certain political bent one way or the other, they were limited in what they could force the losers to have to adopt, right? right? And so that's what made it so successful for so long. But we're losing that. Yeah. We're losing that now. So 
Uh, I, I, but my point is, I understand why people are so jacked up about this emotionally because of the media portrayals, which is postmodern, uh, the social warrior movement and what that's all about. Um, uh, I, I get it at some level. If you've ever traveled or lived in another country and had to be a minority for a period of time, you get it. Uh, I, I was uh, living in Italy in 2016 with my family and we were often treated poorly because we'd walk into the room, everybody looked at us and go, they're Americans, right? They're right. not Italians. And so, so many times what a lot of people didn't realize is that my daughter was fluent in Spanish. And so by the time we left Italy, she's pretty fluent in Italian as well. Right. But we'd walk in and they'd start talking in Italian, you know, and of course I have no idea what they're talking about. And they're having these conversations. Oh, they're not Italians. They're Americans. So charge them more, you know, charge them more for their coffee, charge them more for this, charge them for this. And so, and of course that is just blatant racism, right? You know, right. you're, tr you're doing something different. You're not treating people equally. And so, but this is really common in Europe. I don't think people understand that in Europe, the mistreatment of other nationalities is really common more so than in America, at, you know, which is really quite amazing. But um, so I, I get why people feel that way. Um, uh, I get I get uh, why. And so I'm not trying to discount anybody's emotional state if they're a minority or non minority about these issues at all. The real question is whether or not it's right to feel this way. And that's mm. where following Christ is different because you have to ask yourself, is the way I feel helping or is it hurting? So it seems our society is becoming less interested in truth mm -hmm. and more interested in narratives, as, yes. as you discussed earlier. Um, therefore, it seems the media is trying to form kind of emotional responses in the way that they're interacting. And is there anything to be done about this as the church? Can we really do anything about that? Well, the biblical principles that we studied is that the power of God is available to those who believe, right? Right. This power ha is is going to make the impossible possible. Because right now you look at it and you go, this is impossible. You know, There's no way we could. Yeah, we're, we're not going to come together. There's not going to be any change. This is impossible. You know, we just, you know, break out the Bible in the AK-47, you know, the AR-15s and let's just hunker down. Um, but the power of God makes the impossible possible and it's available to us the second principle then he says in verses 1 through 10 is that we are God's workmanship created to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do and this happens when we set aside the cravings of our sinful nature and through redemption embrace the power of God redeeming us so the first question every follower of Christ should ask in trying to resolve these issues is why do I feel this way? So if you are of a certain ethnicity, doesn't matter if you're a Caucasian, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, Latino, if you're Asian, and you feel that you're being discriminated against or something is happening against you unfairly, you can say, I'm having these feelings. I understand I'm having these feelings. These feelings are real, but why am I having these feelings? If you could just grab a hold of this in your life, it will change your life. Because the first step in following Jesus and navigating any difficult situation is to take an inventory of yourself. 
Paul says, let a man examine himself. For instance, if you're married, you're married and your wife is doing something and you start to get angry and you're upset. The best thing you could ever do if you want to be a good husband and follow Jesus is go, you know what? I'm getting upset. And then ask yourself the question, why? Why does this bother me? Why am I upset? Okay. And what that does is that gets you out of the emotional realm where you're easily manipulated by Satan and it gets you into the faith realm where you can be objective and look at it the way Christ looks at it. Because you may come to the conclusion, you know, I, I, I feel this way because of my own brokenness or I feel this way because I have a hidden agenda or I am upset, I'm offended, I'm annoyed because of some reason. Right. And then that makes you grow, right? Or you might say, well, I'm offended because this behavior of my spouse is wrong. And this is why it's wrong. But then you're not going to address it emotionally, which creates what? Conflict and Conflict division. And all of the- yeah. You address it then from a truth situation. And that makes all the difference. And what you're saying is that there's an objective truth out side of us. So that's the first step. Re- examination, if you're going to do this, uh, not only helps you in your business or in your career or your job, it will help you in your marriage. It helps you with your kids. You know, why are my kids making me feel so angry right now or they're annoying the snot out of me? Why? <laughs> why do I feel that way? Uh, if, I'm, if you're a, a person who feels in a situation you're a minority and you're being discriminated against, your feelings are going to be real, right? But as a follower of Christ, your first question should be, why do I feel this way? Um, I was listening to a man, and he talks about this. He's out of Toronto. He has a... Uh, a, a, a blog and a podcast. He's, he's a young man. He's probably in his uh, late twenties, and he he's grown up. In, he came over from Nigeria. I think it was either Angola or Nigeria when he was like eight or nine years old, and he grew up in Toronto. And then at nineteen, he walked into a church and he found the Lord, and so he was converted. And then he started. You know, he's a really sharp thinker. And so he started analyzing all the stuff that's going on. And so he started to write a little blog to all of his friends and family uh, from a Christian perspective about this. Well, it just kind of blew up because he's such an insightful young man. And he talked about that. He, he applied this principle. And this is what he said. He goes, in Toronto, I was walking towards the train station and you're walking through this notoriously really you know, shady part. There's this tunnel you walk through. It's just super creepy. And he goes, one night, late at night, I was walking through, right? And this lady was walking towards me. And he goes, I'm not an intimidating guy. I'm like five, four, (laughs) you know, I'm not a big guy. And um, he goes, I'm walking through. And he said, he said, she grabs her purse, right? And walks a little faster. And he goes, you know what my first thought was? She's a racist because I'm black. And she's doing that. And then he started to pray about it. And then he realized I've sinned against that woman because I judged her. Hmm. He said, because I'm in a shady part of town already. Right. And maybe it had nothing to do with my ethnicity. Maybe it was just, there's another person in the shady part of town. town, I'm scared, you know? And so I attributed to her something that wasn't true. And Satan was going to use that you see, to build a narrative in my mind that's going to attract me. See, and this is what we have to realize is that who is the father of racism? Satan. Satan is the father of racism. Who is the father of prejudice? Satan. Satan. 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of this present darkness. So Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of this world, this little reality, not the universe or anything else. So I I think the first thing you have to do, the biblical principle that shows us in verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, is it doesn't matter who you are. You have to evaluate why you feel the way you feel in a situation. And that is the most freeing thing that you can do. And then now you're out of, I'm being victimized, to now I can have victory over this situation in any way, shape, or form. So like the first 10 verses in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Mm -hmm. the power of God begins with redeeming the individual before it works out to redeeming these types of situations, Mm -hmm. one before the other. Uh, How do we encourage the healing process between different ethnic groups? Well, the next principle is if I'm a follower of Christ, it's not what I want that matters. It's what Jesus wants in this situation. And so first and foremost, I think Jesus wants to be motivated by love. And this is difficult to do today because most people have no idea what real love is. You know, today, our society and our media and our postmodern narratives is that, uh, you know, what love is, is Valentine's Day and Hallmark cards and sexual erotic love and people being able to have sex with whoever they want. It's about young, beautiful people kissing one another and holding hands and and love songs and all this stuff. But when the Bible speaks of love, it sees a bloody mangled body of a human being ridiculed and despised while hanging on a cross. Mm hmm. Those are two dramatically different images. Very different. Yeah. And so, first of all, we have to be motivated by love. And second of all, we have to be committed to justice. Because Christ died on the cross for justice. Okay? And what that means is we can't put modifiers on justice. And as soon as you start putting modifiers on justice, you know, you say, oh, well, we're into social justice or economic justice or, or uh, food justice and, I mean, environmental justice. What, what that simply is is that's just a game to, like we talked about last Thursday, is to pick a group. You try to create a category, and then you can rationalize and justify unjust acts towards all the other groups because you're trying to get equal justice in this specific group. Jesus didn't die for groups and divisions and barriers and hostilities. He died in order to create one, it says, one nation in him. God never uses social justice as a, as a verse. There's no s- mentions of those um, modified right. versions of justice in the Bible. There's, it's just the one. And justice. we live in a world influenced highly by Gnosticism, which was addressed by the Apostle John and first, second, and third John. And that is, is that they're constantly trying to redefine words. Right. You know, they're trying to bring new meanings into words because when you, words mean something. But in a postmodern society, in a deconstructionist society, means don't have, words don't have any meaning, only the meaning you want to associate with them. So it's a, it's a mental, it's a gymnastics game that people play. So I think Jesus wants us to be committed to justice. And so even when justice is unpopular, like for instance, in the issue of abortion, 
You know, it's not a very popular thing having justice for the unborn, is it? You know, a lot of people are opposed to that and stuff like that. But there has to be a consistency across the board. And that is, is that, you know, like for cops, you know, when cops are out doing their job and in, in narratives, the facts don't matter. It's just an image. But Jesus wants us to be committed to the truth. You know, um, I've talked to a number of Christian friends who are really into these social movements. And their response to me was, I said, well, how do you feel when the facts come out? And one person said, responded, well, I don't think the facts matter. And I was like, yeah, I think you need to recommit. You need to re-examine your faith. Yeah. You know, they didn't like that when I said it, but I am a little salty. <laughs> um, I think Jesus wants us to commit it to truth. I don't know how lying and falsehood is ever going to get us to a more just society. I just don't see how that can There's happen. No way that can yeah. I mean, uh, my grandparents and great grandparents said two wrongs don't make a right. I don't know what your moral math is, but it don't work. And so you got to get committed to the truth. But also it's really important too. Jesus wants to stay out of the power game. He doesn't want to get into this, you know, this social theory where we're a part of a group and we're fighting against that part of a group. No, we have to keep in mind our battle is not with other groups, other people, flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and principalities of this present darkness. Our battle is with Satan. So these are really intense topics. And uh, I just want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and helping us navigate these situations because there's a lot of pastors that are afraid to openly discuss this issue and actually offer principles to help us navigate them Mm. there's there's a couple that are discussing them but they're more they're they're playing into these games that you're talking about. yes yeah unfortunately yeah yeah they're not talking about how we can navigate but they'll grow and mature and realize (laughs) they'll get there (laughs) they'll get there um so what should our final takeaways be well i think we need to heed the words of paul in verse 14 uh of chapter 2 where he said jesus christ he himself is our peace he has made the two groups one He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Satan loves division. Satan loves hostility. Satan loves barriers. And what our goal is, is to tear down barriers. But you don't tear barriers down by capitulating to a group that is playing this social theory game. Right. Right. That the the way it's broken down is when the barriers are destroyed by Christ, not by us or by a political solution. They are destroyed by Jesus. And that's an important distinction. So if we're participating in a power game, we end up creating division instead of unity. Yes. Yes. But it doesn't mean we should remain silent. You see, it means we start with the right foundation. If you reject a biblical worldview for a secular worldview, even subconsciously, Uh, In other words, before you think through any social issue, you start with a wrong premise. And this always leads to a false conclusion. You end up with the wrong answer. So when the Bible quotes God as stating he is a God of justice, then I must understand justice from his perspective, not my perspective, and then try to solve our societal racial issues from God's perspective and not mine. So our society provides... Uh, a, a justice system, you know, uh, a, a, that can be changed so that when we find something that may be systemic, then we go in there and we all agree and we change that. And that's what's happened. That's been the history of America. And, uh, and I think that we can continue to do that, but it doesn't always work, you know, and sometimes we can find things, but our goal isn't to just, uh, 
to capitulate to people yelling and screaming. Our goal is to find out a specific, and that is, okay, well, what needs to change? And then let's all have an objective discussion about it, and that's what's good for society and civilization. But right now, the division is just, you know, Satan loves it. He loves the hatred. He loves the judgment. He loves uh, the bigotry. So, So let me be direct. A young man who's black comes up to you and says, Black Lives Matter. What's your response? Oh, my. You are being direct. (laughs) Well, with that person, I would say, well, your life matters to God. So I I could say this. I could look at him and I could say, you know what? Your life matters to me. I care about you so much. But unfortunately, what good is that going to do him? Really, what good does it do him if I like him or love him or say you matter to me? Right. Because the bottom line is what he believes in his soul of soul is the most important thing of all. He's seeking affirmation from the wrong place. That's right. See, that's what's going to hurt or help him. If he believes deep within his soul that it is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone that affirms him as a young man, I guarantee you he will be successful. Mm. You know, he will be successful. And that's what I want that young man to believe is that there is no amount of material change that will ever quench the thirst of your soul. And that is, that young man is asking, am I a man? Am I, does my life matter? And so by introducing him to Jesus Christ, he finds the perfect father. He finds the perfect family. He finds the perfect affirmation. He finds the quenching of the thirst of his soul. And that young man will grow up knowing who he is in Christ. And that man will be successful. It doesn't matter if he's black or he's Asian or he's white or Caucasian. It doesn't matter if he's Native American or he's from India or from China. It doesn't matter. That is what we all have in common as human beings. Hmm. I think the second thing is, is that I need to understand uh, the temptation and resist it to say, I care and I matter and leave God out of it because it makes me look good. It makes me look like, man, I'm a caring pastor, you know, because, the, but, the, the, but this kind of compassion, this empathy, this listening, it may help me personally in my leadership. It may get more people to follow me. But people uh, want, because people want to follow somebody they aspire to be, right? right? And so uh, they, they want to talk. Uh, they want to, you know, listen to someone. I want to talk like that, you know, kind of thing. Oh, boy, I wish I could say it that way. However, this is not my job. This is not my calling is not to get you to follow me is not to get you to respect me. My job and my uh, point is the goal of my ministry is to get you to follow Jesus. You know, if you're going to aspire to somebody, aspire to be like him. Mm. If you want to talk like someone, talk like him. If you want to love, love like him. I am a really poor representation of Jesus, (laughs) you know, but he is so good at representing himself. Without Jesus, I'm literally nothing. I'm total nonsense, complete stupidity. So whenever I speak, I must speak as it says in 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. It's not what I think, what my opinion is. It's what God thinks 
that matters. It's his opinion about our morality, our lifestyle. It's his opinion about where all this division comes from. Second of all, I must though speak in love. First Corinthians 13, one says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. There, I, fe- I think the need to speak in a way that tries to achieve both goals. We want to speak as the very words of God. We want to do it in love. And we want to point everybody to Jesus because that's the answer, the only answer that will solve these problems. Pastor, you've given us some great words to think on and some um, ways to start navigating what's going on in the world. I really thank you for that. Um, Thank you guys for joining us. We are continuing our series called Essential on Sunday, um, the second week um, at 9.30 and 11 here at Foothills. You can join us on campus or online. Uh, We appreciate you guys joining us here on The Salty Pastor. Leave a review um, and a rating or a comment if you're watching on YouTube. And thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Sunday. Blessings.